stuff. Well, we are uh, concluding our journey through 1 Timothy this morning. Uh, this is our 17th Sunday uh, in uh, this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, who he sent to the church at Ephesus. We started uh, the first Sunday of February. Weather's changed a little bit. <laughs> Not as much as maybe we had hoped, but uh, adjusted a little bit. Uh, uh, today we're going to look at the final five verses. Paul's final instructions to young Timothy and the church at Ephesus. Uh, let's see. Douglas, we need some light. I can't see these folks. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And they can't read their Bibles either. That's not good. Amen. Okay. We're going to uh, just kind of uh, go back uh, in time now, and we're going to very quickly stroll through the entire book, uh, and then we'll conclude in those last five verses. So if you have your Bible, go back to chapter one, and I just want to remind you where we've been uh, these last four months. Verses one to seven, chapter one, uh, right from the beginning, he talks about false teachers. And that's been one of the key themes because uh, that was one of the key problems in the church at Ephesus. They were uh, talking about myths, endless genealogies, and speculations. Stop it. Knock it off. Uh, verses 8 through 11 of chapter 1, we found out the purpose of the Old Testament law is to help us realize we're great sinners in need of a great Savior. Is that not true? We're great sinners. The law reveals the fact we are great sinners, and boy, do we need a great Savior. Verses 12 to 17, chapter 1, uh, Paul said, you know, of all the sinners, I'm the greatest, I'm the worst. And yet, think about it, God used him amazingly. Andrew, the Lord used Paul to be his missionary to take the gospel of Christ to uh, the entire world. So this great worst of sinners, yet God used his, him amazingly. Uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, Paul isn't afraid to name names, and you'll see that he names some names of false teachers who were dangerous to the church, and obviously they were dangerous to themselves. Chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 7, Paul says, when it comes to the president and Congress and our government and our state and local officials, what's our job? Wine, be bitter, picket, get angry. That's not what he says. He says, pray for the authorities God's placed over you. Pray for them. So, so again, it's just a little bit different viewing things. And, and oh, by the way, this was Rome, and this was the Caesars. And again, I'm just telling you, in comparison, we got it real good. Uh, chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, Paul wades into the roles of men and women in the church. And you may recall, uh, not politically correct ideas. But biblically, Paul is spot on. And he's exactly where we need to line up our thinking. Uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, God has high expectations for the leaders in his church. So if you're going to be a leader in the church of Jesus Christ, here's God's expectations for you. And he expects a lot from his leaders. 
uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, we recognize that the reason he wrote this letter is so that we in God's household, I like this, the church of the living God will know how we should live, how we should conduct ourselves in church. So the purpose for this letter is to know how the church should operate as the church of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, are you there in your Bible? Verses 1 to 5. Godliness is the chief goal for the church and for the follower of Christ. So godliness is your goal. Place that as your daily goal. I want to be godly. What does that mean? It means to be spiritually fit, spiritually healthy, healthy in your walk, in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter 4 Verses 11 to 16 were examples, and people are watching us. And, and we'd like to think, well, nobody, nobody's paying attention. No, yes, they are. Verses 11 to 16, they're listening to our words. They're paying attention to our attitudes. They're looking and, and examining, Jonathan, are, are, are you really living out this love of Christ that you claim is at, at the core of your life, or is this love missing? Is this agape really just something you say, but we don't see. Uh, verses 1 through 16 of chapter 5, uh, religion that our God finds pure and acceptable is to take care of widows. And, and we found that, that the Lord has a lot to say about widows in the church. Make sure if there are widows in your life that you're doing your part to make sure they're taken care of, especially if they're in your family. He says that over and over and over again. Uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through 25, the Lord expects the church to take good care of its shepherds, its pastors. And uh, let me say one more time, uh, church at Walloon, well done. Keep up the good work. Uh, you've done very well over the years. And uh, as one of the shepherds here, thank you. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, regards our jobs, the workplace. Followers of Jesus Christ, we should be the best workers. Think about it. Dan, when people go to hire, they should say, we want followers of Christ working in our business. People who love Jesus should be the best, the hardest, the most honest, the most trustworthy. They're, they're going the extra mile. There's kindness. There's love. And, and I guess I just need to ask you again, is that true for you on the job? I, I think if we took Jesus to the job daily and we just started living Jesus on the job, we'd turn northern Michigan upside down just doing it on the job. Uh, chapter three, 6, excuse me, verses 3 to 10 uh, Pastor Jason Ritchie was here, and he talked about the false teachers who were all about getting rich off the back of the church. And it says there, the love of money, the love of money, not money, but the love of money is not the root, but a root of all kinds of evil. Better be careful when it comes to money. And last week, Verses 11 through 16, we, we saw that you're commanded to flee. Flee from the false teachers. Flee from the garbage they're feeding. Quit feeding on their poison and grab a hold of eternal life in Jesus Christ and enjoy it till Jesus returns. Today, we pick up with verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6, 
We'll read down through the end of Paul's inspired letter. Um, what are we going to do next, you might ask? Well, next Sunday, let me give you a week's heads up. Are you ready? Next Sunday is da -da 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 -da, Father's Day. Father's Day. So we'll see all of you fathers here who are going to celebrate your day by being a great example to your family here in the church. Amen? So you'll all be back. Uh, we'll have a message focused on fathers next Sunday, and then we're going to spend the summer in Proverbs. We're going to uh, look at wisdom that works. Let's stand together. Uh, verse 17, we're going to read down through the end of Paul's letter to Timothy. Start with verse 17. Read with me, would you please? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this gift that you've given us called First Timothy. Thank you, Lord, that I've had the privilege to uh, walk through this letter with your church, my friends here. So, Lord, uh, help us, Lord, to now put your owner's manual for our lives to work in our lives. Help us, Lord, to put it to practice on the job. Help us to put it to practice in our families. Lord, help us to put it to practice in our neighborhood regarding our children, regarding our marriages, regarding your church. So, Lord, it's one thing to hear and understand your book. Lord, help us to go that next step and live it out and begin to apply it in our daily lives. Um, I pray now for my friends who are here, and, Lord, frankly, some of us are here, and we're tired and struggling, and we're feeling beaten up after a long week. May today, Lord, you bring encouragement and hope and peace on each and every one of your children who are gathered here in your church. Thank you for the opportunity to sing songs of worship and praise to your son Jesus. Lord, he's the audience that matters as we, as we sing these songs. And Lord, now help us to worship you as we study the final verses of this book. Help us, Lord, to hear clearly from you. We invite your Holy Spirit to come and move in and amongst your church today. May Jesus Christ be lifted high. And all the church gathered at Walloon said with passion, with passion, just a second, said with passion. Amen. Nice job. You may be seated. You guys are getting really good at that. Um, I find it interesting how Paul concludes this letter. 
he kind of circles back and reemphasizes two things that he's talked a lot about in this letter. Uh, final, thought about, final thoughts about wealth and riches and some closing warnings about the danger of false teachers in the church, verses 20 and 21. So let's just spend a moment, verses 20 and 21, we beat this up pretty hard. Uh, it says, verse 20, guard God's word. Church, don't stray from the book, Timothy. Uh, it's tempting to, to move on out and be clever and, and get out there and talk about all these popular ideas, this chattering of knowledge. Don't do that, Timothy. Stick with the book, guard it, protect it, protect the deposit that's been given you, and avoid the godless chatter of this world. Okay? So uh, that's uh, a drum that we've beaten pretty hard uh, because Paul beats that drum pretty hard here in 1 Timothy. But, but today we're going to focus mainly on verses 17 and 19. Verse 17, here we go. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain and I thought about doing this right now I thought about asking how many of you consider yourself rich or wealthy and and I suspect that very few hands would go up because you know it just doesn't seem very appropriate to say yeah, I'm rich I'm wealthy, um, especially when you consider, now, it just depends who you're talking to. You know, am I comparing myself to Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Oprah and Sting and A-Rod? If that's who the compare, no, hands staying down. Um, so when Paul is talking, look at verse 17, when he's talking to those who are rich in this present world, most of us would say, Jordan, he's not talking to me. <laughs> not talking to me. I, I'm not rich. I, I'm not wealthy. Um, I just want to give you a little perspective. When you uh, live in the wealthiest and the most prosperous country in the world, and by almost every measure, that's the country we live in, and you live at a time when by many measures, stock market being an example, we're at or near all-time highs, can I just tell you, even the poorest among us here today would be considered middle class in much of the world. Do you understand that? I know you don't feel rich, you don't feel wealthy, but when you're looking at it from a worldwide perspective, almost all of us are at least middle class compared to the rest of the world. Uh, very few of us are worried about uh, oh, am I going to have anything to eat tomorrow? That's not true for much of the world right now. You realize that. Some of them have no clue where dinner today is coming from. And oh, by the way, if that is true, if you happen to be in that category, see myself or Pastor Bob will get you connected with the food pantry. So, I mean, that's what is amazing in this country. If that's true for you, we'll give you food for the next week. So it's just amazing the resources that we have. Almost none of us have to worry today, where am I going to sleep tonight? Most of us aren't going to have to sleep out 
in the rain if it rains tonight, or in the cold if, if the weather turns sour. Uh, most of us have more than one set of clothes and underwear. Can I get an amen there? Yeah, aren't you glad? Uh, again, I recognize that every culture has different levels of what it means to be rich. I get that. You know, we have different levels here in our culture. And every culture has different levels of what it means to be poor or in poverty. But I'll say this again, by world standards, historical measures, many if not most of us would be considered rich and well off in this present world even if you don't feel that way because you again it's who you're comparing yourself to so I want you to go back to verse 17 now because this really does apply to a lot more of us than maybe we care to admit verse 17 command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth there's two dangers for wealth for the follower of Christ. And if you're taking notes, here's danger number one. The first danger for the follower of Jesus Christ regarding riches and wealth, the first danger is pride. It's beginning to feel arrogant and superior because, hey, I got a lot of stuff. And here's how that warped thinking happens. Track with me and see if you haven't gone down this road a little bit. Well, I have more than other people. I have more, more of this than a lot of other people. Therefore, I must be smarter. I must be more ambitious. I must be more creative than those who have less than me. Because after all, I got a lot of stuff. Therefore, I think I might be a little better than them. And since God has blessed me in this way... He must think I'm better, and I think he likes me a little more than he likes them. I think I'm his favorite. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I deserve it. Again, I'm telling you, it's subtle, and it's an arrogance that kind of creeps into our souls, and pretty soon I'm saying and thinking things like, well, those that don't have as much as I do, they must be lazy, or they're not very smart, or they're not very motivated, and therefore, once again, I deserve what I have. I just want to remind you, the gospel tells all of us, without the cross of Christ, think about it, without Jesus and his shed blood on the cross, without the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit, without the instruction manual of God's word, the Bible, um, all of us would be in the same place. Is that not true? Uh, as the folks uh, that are poor and lost and we're feeling superior and we're looking down to them, I, I just want you to understand, if it were not for the grace and the love of Christ, there we would be. So the next time you're in a big city, the next time you're in Detroit or Chicago and you're walking by that homeless alcoholic, just remember if not for the grace of Christ, that might be you or that might be me. And it's real easy to start feeling, you oh, know, I think I'm better. But the poor and the lost and the rich and the lost have the same future. Do you understand? If you, if you got a lot of stuff and you don't know Jesus or you got nothing and you don't know Jesus, the end result is the same. 
And again, Jesus and the cross changes everything. The first danger of wealth for the follower of Christ, it's pride, it's arrogance. And it's real easy to let that settle in. Second danger of wealth for the follower of Christ is misplaced hope. Misplaced hope. Verse 17, look at it. It says, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. The temptation to rely and depend on our things to carry us through life instead of who? Who should we be relying and depending on to carry us through life? And the answer is Jesus Christ. He's the one we should be trusting and leaning and depending on, but it's easy when you got a lot of stuff to depend on your stuff. And the only thing certain about riches and wealth is what? What's verse 17 say? Is that it's uncertain and that it's passing away and it doesn't last. Because when we die, how much do we leave behind? Everything. That's right. Everything, all of it. A Spanish proverb says there are no pockets. Todd, you might want to write this one down. There are no pockets sewn in burial shrouds. Why, why don't they put any pockets in burial shrouds? Because you don't need any pockets. Uh, an American proverb says there's no U-Haul trailers pulled behind funeral hearses. It's true. You leave it. It's uncertain. You're going to take nothing with you. Instead, instead, positively, go back to verse 17, put your hope in God who provides for us with everything we need for our enjoyment. Let that soak in. He provides everything we need for our enjoyment. And if you don't have something, then here would be the response. Then apparently at this point, the Lord has said, you don't need that to enjoy life. Put your trust in God Almighty. Lean, depend, trust, rely in the Lord to take care of you. Now, here's what's interesting. Paul doesn't instruct the wealthy here, get rid of your stuff. It's wrong, it's sin to be... He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, no, be careful. If you got a lot of stuff, if you're rich or you're wealthy, make sure you don't rely on your riches instead of relying on Jesus Christ. That's the warning. He's not saying get rid of it. He said, no, just make sure that's not what you're trusting and depending on. So let's just pause for a moment. Let's do a little inventory, would you? If you need to, shut your eyes and let this soak in for just a moment. How's your attitude toward the poor been recently? Been muttering about 47% of people that you're not so sure about? Been muttering about people that maybe you're thinking, well, I think I might be a little smarter than they are. I think I work a little harder. I think I'm superior. You think God blesses you better because he likes you more? It's subtle. Are you trusting Christ with tomorrow or are you trusting your wealth to see you through the future? Verse 18. So what does the Lord expect of us? If we're here today and the Lord would consider us rich or wealthy from his perspective, what are God's expectations for us in the church? 
Verse 18, you ready? Here we go. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Did you notice he says the same thing three times? And he just keeps getting a little more specific, Jeff. Did you notice? Look at verse 18, three times. First thing, command or order them. Uh, That's pretty bold. Timothy, order the well-to-do Christians in the church to do good. One word in the, dr- in the Greek. In the drink, I started to say, but that's not. In the Greek. Uh, that's how much Greek I know, in the drink. Uh, it's, it's a call to action. Here's what it literally says, verse 18. Look at it. Get busy and do good stuff with your riches. That's, that's literally what it says. Get busy and move, and it's a call to action. Uh, second thing he says here, verse 18. Again, it's it, three times he says, gets a little more specific, be rich in good deeds. Do good stuff toward others that involves giving of your abundance. Uh, riches means you got a little more than you really need, so get busy and give away some of that good stuff that the Lord has blessed you with. And finally, third, be generous and willing to share. Be generous and willing to share. Give generously to the church. Give generously to the fellow Christians. Be generous as the Lord brings you by people who are in need. I want to give you a little quick testimony, okay? And it's not a happy testimony. It's one of those kind of things that I argued with the Lord a little bit, but I'm going to tell you something. Are you ready for this? Most pastors I have known are not very generous with their treasure anyway. Uh, and, and I'll tell you a big reason why most pastors aren't very generous is because most churches are not very generous in their pay to their pastors. That's just the honest truth. They're kind of poor and there's not much wiggle room and therefore it's kind of a setup. If you don't have much and you're just barely making it, it's kind of hard to be generous anyway. First 10 years as a pastor, I just got to be honest, um, I can look back now and say, that really wasn't enough to live on. There really wasn't. We were always behind. And you just get caught up, Jason, and maybe you can identify, and then the tires are bald. Uh, Or, you know, uh, a tie rod goes, or somebody's got an abscessed tooth, or there's always, always behind. And I got to be honest, I came to Walloon with that same mindset, you know? Uh, and, uh, and we're always behind, and we're always going to be behind, and I'm not sure if we'll ever catch up. So here's the mindset of many pastors. You ready? I give extra of my time. I give extra of my talent. The Lord's okay if I don't give extra of my treasure. And that's kind of the mindset of of, of many pastors, and that's what I had kind of bought into. And I know that because that's what some of the stuff pastors talk about when they're not around the rest of you. Anyway, um, it, it took me a while, and, and I tell you, a big part of it is we were just in debt. We were like in debt. We had to dig ourselves out of debt. And let me just say real, real clear here, the reason some of you aren't generous is because you're bound and chained by debt. And you can't be generous when you're in the hole. 
So, so the first thing that Denise and I had to do is we had what we did the first year. I didn't tell anybody this. This is my, my confession. It feels good for my soul. Um, first year we had Dave Ramsey. I couldn't make it because I was teaching a class when they were doing Dave Ramsey. So we kind of took the DVDs in the middle of the night when no one was here, and we watched them at home, and we did Dave Ramsey, just Denise and I, Dave Ramsey, and we realized, you know what? He's actually laying out some really cool stuff, and we started living on a budget and putting FPU to anyway. That was the first step, and then here's the next thing. I went to a uh, seminar in Lansing. John Maxwell, anybody know Jan, John Any great speaker, promise keepers. Anyway, uh, church packed full of pastors. Uh, and here's what he said. I want to tell you the secret of having a generous church. Quiet, and we're all leaning in. John Maxwell is going to tell us the secret of having a generous church. He said, the secret is being a generous pastor. Really, John? I drove from Petoskey to hear that. <laughs> really? And, and, and I tell you, the Lord took that, and then he started biting me and, and convicting me. And, and you know what? He said, stingy pastors always lead to stingy churches. And it took a few weeks, but slowly after I argued with the Lord for a while, he's right, Lord. Change, change, change that in me. Lord, change that in me. Um, Lord, give me a generous heart. Give me a generous spirit. And it didn't happen like that. We're still working our way out of debt. But slowly, slowly, it's fun. When you start praying that prayer, the Lord responds. And I'm not saying I've arrived because I've not, but it's kind of fun and it's exciting. And you got your budget in order and you've paid your bills and you've given the Lord what he's due and you've put money extra in little gifts over here. And then the Lord like gives you a little extra and you're like saying, okay, Lord, I got this 50 bucks. Where, where, where do you want it to go? And it's like, here we go. And, and then you're looking, you're looking, and it's like, there, that's it. G give the 50 there. And then you say, okay, I gave it. And then he, like, gives you another 50. And he says, okay, now what are we going to do with it? And it's kind of fun. And I'm just telling you, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. And I didn't for a long time either. <laughs> it's a blast. So l let me just say this, okay? I dare you to try. <laughs> I dare you. And it just starts with a prayer. Oh, it also starts with a budget, okay? Some of you got to get out of the hole but once you're out of the hole, then you can say, Lord, change my heart. Make me generous. And maybe, maybe you don't even know what that means exactly, but I'm willing to learn, Lord. Show me and make me a generous person. And why would I want to do that, Pastor Jeff? Exactly why would I pray that prayer? Verse 19. In this way, being generous, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. This is worth writing down if you're taking notes. The only riches that will survive this present world are those that are invested by God's people through generous giving. I'll say that again. The only riches that will survive this present world are the riches that we've invested as God's chosen people through generous giving. That's the only stuff. 
It's like God's got this amazing layaway plan. It's way better than Walmart, way better than Target, way better than Kmart. It's the greatest layaway program in all of history. Think about it. You just get to bank it ahead. Here's how Jesus put it, Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures where? In heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 19, look at it, the last part. Life, that is really life, this is really living, is living each day for King Jesus and his glory. And then using the stuff that he blesses us with to be generous to others. Generous to his church. Generous to his kingdom. Some of you people here today are the most generous people I've ever met. And I just want to say thank you. I was inspired by you to learn this lesson. Keep up the good work. Keep up the layaway program. And those of you who have yet to discover generosity, I just want you to know I've been there. I get it. You can, I could come up with a dozen reasons why I should hold on tighter to my stuff and be kind of a hoarder, stingy. I get it. And, and I don't have to help you come up with a reason. But I just want you to know the last thing to get saved on a man or a woman is his wallet and a woman's purse. That's the last thing that gets saved. It really is. Would you start praying if that's you this, this day? Would you, would you dare pray, Lord, make me a generous person? Start working in my life that way. Let's pray as we close. Lord, thank you for uh, warning us about the dangers of riches. And Lord, I'm asking that you might point out if we've grown proud and arrogant with the wealth and the riches that you've given to us. Lord, it's subtle and sometimes it's hard to see in the mirror. So I'm asking that uh, we'll see it through the mirror of your word if we've begun to feel smug and superior to others who don't have as much as we do. And Lord, I'm asking that you might make it clear if we've begun to trust in our stuff, even in small ways instead of trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ. And finally, Lord, I want to thank you for those who are here today who've learned to be generous. Lord, thank you uh, in your church here at Walloon. We're blessed with some of the most generous people I've ever met. They are great mentors and examples for me, for us. Lord, continue to keep them on a generous path. And I close by praying for those who have yet to jump into the lake of generosity. Lord, there are some here, they're on the edge, and they got reasons, and they've got excuses. But, Lord, I pray that today, after they've heard from you and your word, that they might reconsider. That they might do whatever it takes to get out of debt. Because, Lord, we recognize 
that strangles generosity. Lord, I pray that they might begin praying that prayer. Lord, make me a generous person. Start that work in my life. And I guess that's how I want to close this book today. Anybody who's willing to say, Pastor Jeff, would you pray for me? I need to get on that journey. I need to start. I need to jump in. I got lots of excuses and lots of reasons. But by God's grace, would you pray that I might get on that path and in due time become a generous person? Anybody? Say, that's me. Pray for me. Yeah. Anybody else? I'm, I'm not there right now. Yeah. But I'd like to be. I get it. I understand it. Anybody else? Pray for you too. Yep. Anybody else? Not there, but, but I, I'm, I'm willing to give it a go. Anybody in the balcony? Is that you? I'd like to pray for you. Lord, you see the hands that just went up, and, and I ask that you might work a work that only you can do. So uh, do good stuff in the life of those who are ready to start on that road towards generosity. Lord, we recognize that generosity begins with your son, Jesus. And Lord, he's been so rich toward us. And now, Lord, help us in turn to pass it on to others. Thank you for uh, the opportunity we've had to study your book. It's been a privilege. Thank you for uh, guiding us, even in the midst of a really dark world, Thank you for, Lord, giving us a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. It's in the name of Jesus we pray all these things. Amen. Some of you, I suspect, could use some uh, hands and feet and and a person to listen and care and pray for you. And I don't know if you know this, but every Sunday we have a team over there and they're ready to, to be Jesus for you. They'll, they're going to listen and they're going to pray and they're going to lift up your request. So if that's you and you need to be over there, even as we stand and close with song, you make your way over to the prayer chapel. Let's stand, let's worship the Lord. As we